0: Hey y'all, Will here and this is Stories with Mr. Stories. Today we'll be sitting down with Bex um, and talking about trauma, uh, depression, all sorts of mental health issues and how we can go about still training while working through those things um, and how to have a really healthy mindset when it comes to training and competing and things like that. When you know, you maybe didn't have such a great experience um, in your life. So uh, it's great. Bex is great. And um, if you want to learn more about what she's doing um, or if you feel like after hearing this conversation that you would get some um, good insights into yourself by talking to Bex, you can find her um, at therapyaltered.com. Um, And she goes into sort of the process of getting a hold of her or um, getting care through her um, at the end of the episode, so stick around for that. Um, I know it's been a while. This was actually uh, recorded back at AO2 um, in Calgary. I think that was in September. I don't know. Everything's boring together at this point. Um, And I'm sorry it's been such a long time since I've put out a podcast. Um, Life got hard, and uh, Stu and I put together the first episode of the documentary, um, The Final Attempt, and you should check it out if you're into weightlifting and seeing cool people do really cool things. Um, Yeah. So um, I guess without further ado, since it's been several months since uh, I've put anything out into the airways, um, (laughs) here is my conversation with Bex. Again, if you want to get in contact with her or... um, have any sort of help from her you can find her at therapyaltered.com just a content warning here we will be talking about depression um, anxiety um, self-love things like that so um, if you're struggling with some things like that and um, you'd prefer to not listen to this I just want to put that out there now so um, you can steer clear if that is what you'd like to do and um here we go i uh also get uh pretty emotional in this because bex knows what she's doing um really well apparently so um i'm sorry about that there's quite a few times where um i'm silent and bex is literally filling time for me so um just be prepared for that as well i cry it's whatever people cry um but yeah without all all of that out of the way here we go
1: Like, did we start already? Yeah,
0: (laughs) I've honestly just been, I do that, I just start recording, and then I kind of just check audio levels as we go, and then, because by this point we're kind of like loose and stuff and talking how we would be, so, yeah. Mostly part dialed in. That Um, makes sense. Who are you?
1: Wow. (laughs) Who am I? I'm Rebecca Davis. Um, I'm like, what do people want to know about who I'm like, what kinds of things do people say?
0: Oh God, I don't know. That's a really good point. If someone asked me who I am, I will. I like coffee. Right? I and I'm take like I could say a lot of things.
1: Know. Yeah, you do like coffee and take photographs. That feels actually really accurate and succinct. Like really. That's a <laughs> quite <laughs> That's my elevator fan. pitch. Yeah. That's yeah. good. Um, if I had an elevator pitch, oh shoot, um, I I help people for a living.
0: Yeah,
1: Um, In like a bunch of different ways. And then I teach people stuff. And I like weightlifting.
0: Nice. I feel like that's pretty good.
1: (laughs) Okay. (laughs) I have an elevator pitch. Good.
0: Uh, And you help people specifically with uh, uh, sort of understanding and coping and dealing with trauma.
1: Yes. So I have a lot of jobs, which I think is sometimes why I have a hard time trying to tell people who I am and what I do very quickly. Yeah. Um, but I have training as um, an educator and then also training as a social worker. And so it feels like kind of all the professional things that I do are somewhat related to that. So I'm a professor, an assistant professor. Um, I just got an upgrade in my title. But oh, then wow. I have to like remember what it is because it's, I never know. So I now just ask people in the department, like I'm like, what's my job title? Cause like, I don't know. <laughs> so I'm an assistant professor at Portland State University in the School of Social Work. So I teach people who will be social workers at some point um, and I help them figure out how to do that in the best way that they can. Um, and then I also have a group practice that I run um, as a therapist and the focus of the group practice is high, high, high trauma patients. So folks who like, basically the most, like the worst things that could happen to a person, those friends come to hang out with me. And so I often get a lot of clients who are like, Oh, my therapist told me that I have too much trauma that they don't know how to help me. People who have like dissociative disorders. Um, so it's just like the worst of the worst. Um, in terms of, like, having a hard time in your life. Those are the people that I spend my time with. Um, And then I also do some training and education around um, the link between racism and trauma and the ways in which um, racism and just, like, marginalization and harm. Like, I just spend my whole life talking about harm and all the ways that people are harmed, essentially. Yeah. So that's, like, my whole... My whole life is just, are you okay? (laughs) If you're not, how can I help you? That's really
0: cool. Um, What's the difference between a group practice and anything other than a group practice? Great question,
1: yeah. Um, So group practice is just language that describes a bunch of therapists who have come together and like everyone kind of, not does their own thing, but these are all people who have gone through enough training that we mostly trust them to operate like moderately solo or with some level of supervision. Um, And so oftentimes like I have unlicensed clinicians in my practice, um, but a lot of group practices don't have any unlicensed clinicians. So it's basically like a, a roof for a bunch of therapists who have come together and they're like, hey, we all align around this particular mission um but the thing about being licensed is that someone has said like you take a test and you you know you have multiple years of practice under your belt after graduation from your master's program and whatever you got a master's program in um And so like somebody was like, we trust you in independent clinical practice. Like you don't have to have a supervisor anymore. That's what it means to be licensed. And so then group practices are like a bunch of licensed clinicians who don't need, like they could work by themselves if they wanted, but for whatever reason they're like, you know, it's more fun like working in a group. And so then they come together. So that's how I would describe a group practice. With as many words as possible, so that was the longest explanation on the planet.
0: No, that's good. Um, <laughs> I didn't know what it was, and I have a feeling that probably a lot of people who aren't in social work or um, that sort of field have also no idea what that means. So
1: it's so confusing. Also, like if you're in the field, it's like, oh yeah, that's just you know how it is, but from someone who is outside the field and you're like, I just am looking for a therapist. I can imagine it is so confusing to try to tell the difference between working with a clinician who is like licensed versus being pre-licensed. And I get a lot of questions and I think a lot of people have questions around like where they have an assumption that because my therapist isn't licensed that must mean they're not good. Like they don't know anything, which is false. Um, And there are some states for social work, at at least, you don't ever have to get licensed. So I live in Oregon. And so if you want to do clinical social work, you have to be working towards licensure with the board. Not every state is like that. So you could be working with a social worker. For example, I'm getting licensed also in Washington state because I live so close to the border. Um, In Washington state, you could be a practicing social worker for 20 years and not be working towards licensure, like, you don't have to. And so it's also so confusing the way that things are regulated and the politics around who knows how to do what and when. Yep. You know, and then there's, like, what's the difference between a social worker and a counselor and a psychologist? We all sort of do the same job. Marriage and family therapist. Like, do you know? And so I can just imagine for a person who's like, I don't know. I just want a therapist, like... It's probably wildly confusing.
0: Yeah. Um, I mean, as someone who, like, has had some issues in the past of trying to find, like, a, a therapist to help with an array of disorders and things like that, um, it gets really challenging because um, you just don't know what to look for. And yep. there, there's a bunch of lingo that's involved. Um, and then at certain point, like... In my experience, anyway, like you just get to a point where it's so much that I'm like, and I'm done. I'm done here. I'm totally. done. Apparently, I don't need a therapist because right. I can't figure this out.
1: <laughs> I guess I'm fine.
0: Yeah. <laughs> like, turns out all of my problems are gone. it
1: turns out, I feel better already. Great.
0: Yeah. So, well, and then
1: insurance also.
0: Oh my god. Gets
1: involved, right? And then uh, insurance plays a huge part in yes. who you can see or not see. And then, you know, if your therapist doesn't take insurance and then you're like, cool, how do I manage this enormous out-of-pocket bill? It's ridiculous. Yeah. It really is. There's no reason for it to be like that hard. And so like secret, secret insider information, it shouldn't be a secret, but apparently it is. So the difference between all the different kinds of therapists is all in their code of ethics. Like It's basically a lens for how we look at people and the world. So social workers, we there's a very social justice-oriented uh, code of ethics that we follow yeah. that counselors and psychologists do not follow. Um, they don't have that in their code of ethics. Counselors believe that their job is just healing like the person in front of them oftentimes and this isn't true for all counselors but it's there's not so much a focus on like the system that the person is sitting or situated inside it's just like you human being in front of me you're the person i'm supporting psychologists often have a much more like um sciencey kind of background for what to figure out like what's going on with someone. And then marriage and family therapists are all systems. They're like, a you lot. are a person in your environment. And so we have to look at all the things in your environment, not just you. So that is a big dif- like differentiator between counselors and marriage and family therapists who also go through the same training. They just like branch off. Like they have the same degree program oftentimes and then they just specialize like differently inside their degree program, whereas social workers have a different degree program, as do psychologists. And none of this has anything to do with psychiatrists who are doctors, right? It does, it's bananas, it's so bonkers. And so I'm like, dear everyone, if you're trying to figure out the difference, just look up the code of ethics.
0: That's really good to know.
1: Yep, just look up the code of ethics and you can see the difference. It's just basically what does your therapist believe about how people feel better? That's legit that's the only difference oftentimes. And I know there's like a therapist listening to me who's like, it's so much more complicated. And I'm sorry to that person. But really, like that's the main difference between people is just like, what do you think helps people feel better? Like what do you think is the problem? Yeah. So like social like social workers will say, Yes, there's a lot of mental health stuff, but there's also a lot of societal stuff that's part of the problem. And so we talk about all of those things. Counselors are like, what's going on inside you and your body for yourself? Marriage and family therapists are like you plus the other people in your environment. What's going on with like your family, right? It's essentially like what's happening in your relationships that's impacting you. It's not just you solo. Psychologists are like, don't worry, I have a test and we'll find it out. (laughs)
0: Don't worry, I have a test. Yeah. And that's
1: like basically it. It's certainly more nuanced, but I feel like for the average person who's like, I just want someone to help me hopefully that makes it slightly easier to understand the difference between all the all the people yeah definitely
0: Thanks, think so. that's gonna be I mean that's uh, that's really helpful and I've never heard anyone explain it in such a way that makes it more easy to understand
1: well it's just silly you can go on the internet and read all these things and you're just like what yeah
0: that's what I was doing for several months and I was like I don't
1: get this anymore i don't understand and i'm done it's so hard and what's also hard is i think there are a lot of therapists who want to be all things to all people
0: yep and so I then remember you... we were talking about this yesterday yeah. yeah yeah yeah
1: and so then you just read a psychology today profile and it's like it's just the most generic do you know like i believe in healing <laughs> blah 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 holistic yeah uh feel better blah 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 more joy in your life like Anxiety, depression, right? They list, like, all the all possible things.
0: things. Yes. I have... A, okay, so one of the therapists i tried, I found on Psychology Today, and working with individuals with ASD um, and, like, anxiety, depression, all that stuff, and she was, like, listed all the things. I was like, excellent. You seem like a great fit. Not a good fit. She, We got to a certain point, and she's like, I don't really know how to help you anymore. And, I, and it was because of... Like the issues I also faced with um, autism, and it's like, okay, so I'll just find someone else then yeah. who also
1: says that they can help with autism and then can't.
0: Like I, yeah, but it's it's bananas.
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, the good thing is that this person was honest with you. Yeah, that's And true. like, knew they were moving outside of their scope of practice, and then they let you know. Like, that's a very ethical thing to do. Yeah. So I'm like, I'm glad to hear that. That they were ethical about it, and they were honest, like, hey, I can no longer support you in this way. You should probably find someone else. And. And also. Well, those things start because people want to be all things to all people. Yeah. And I believe very firmly, and I tell all my students this, like, you need to know what you're good at. And part of figuring out what you're good at is working with populations that you didn't think that you wanted to work with. But. You also do that, like, you do that with supervision. You do that in your internship at school. Because, again, social workers, we focus on working with vulnerable and marginalized populations. So I feel really strongly around, like, we don't experiment on people. Yeah. Like, that's not, if you have a Psychology Today profile and you're not 100% sure that you really know what to do, like, don't put it on there. We don't experiment on people. That's not cool. Yeah,
0: it's a good. Uh, I think that's just a good general rule, not just for right uh, in life psychology students are just just don't just don't experiment on people. Right,
1: don't it's like use another person's lived experience to like try something out.
0: Right. Oh gosh.
1: <laughs> this is amazing. I'm like, for anyone listening, we chose this spot because it was it's quiet, to be quiet.
0: But I reckon this guy's gonna.
1: And now there's, like, a floor-cleaning person driving by because we're right next to a hockey rink. It's just kind of hilarious.
0: Yeah, so to kind of put you in where we're at, we are at... Oh, yeah, we should say uh, that. The North American Open Series 2 in Calgary, Canada. Calgary, Canada. (laughs) Calgary in Alberta in Canada. In
1: Canada, yes.
0: And we tried to pick a spot that was uh, quiet, and now there's a automized mopper thing we'll see if he goes away in a couple seconds here but while he's doing that uh, i really wanted to uh, talk with you um on this podcast because uh, a lot of people have um talked to me about their experiences with um trauma and anxiety and depression and managing that um, in day-to-day life, but um, managing it in sport as well.
1: Mm -hmm. Um, It's tough.
0: And so, uh, you work uh, especially with folks, like you said, who've gone through a lot of trauma. um, And um, I really want to get your take on how to navigate sporting while also navigating the life. um, And weightlifting is a very mental sport we put a lot of pressure on ourselves um as athletes in this ridiculous sport where we're just trying to pick up heavy things and put them over our heads Mm -hmm. um but it's like scary sport and um i really would uh for people who've experienced trauma um and so when i was going to that therapist before um I was like, oh, yeah, I can totally train right after this appointment. It's fine. Mm. And I very quickly realized that that was not a good idea. And Greg was like, hey, don't do that again. Like, hey, if if you have a uh, therapy appointment, either train before your therapy appointment or if you have to train that day, dump your numbers way down because you're reliving experiences that put you in a really bad spot. And if you just go in and start, like, bashing your face into the wall, you're only going to make things worse for yourself. Yeah. Um, so just different things like that that I, I feel like... And this it could just be my own biases because of my own experiences. Um, but I feel like people who have experienced trauma and things in the past, if they get to a spot where they're, like, struggling, they'll just keep pounding their face into a wall. Mm. Um, and so I was just... I really want to have you on to talk about ways that people can cope um and obviously knowing that like this is not like talk to your doctor and like this yeah. is not like a um do this thing but like absolutely different strategies that people could use um while also going to therapy while also mm-hmm. doing good things for themselves but yeah, um, yeah
1: um yeah i'm gonna start i'm gonna like my brain. I'm I'm figuring out how to get to the answers to your question, and I'm going to start ultra at the beginning Okay. of like what is trauma? Yeah, because it's a word that's getting thrown around. Um... <laughs> oh my gosh, this is incredible. This automated form upper just coming on by. Um, just give it a second.
0: <laughs> oh. so much
1: for our, our quiet spot search this, is, this is just
0: like par for the course Do you know for what I mean? me, honestly yeah
1: this feels appropriate yeah, actually it really as does. we're having this conversation about trauma it feels really appropriate <laughs> um so like language about trauma has really entered pop psych
0: yeah
1: in a way that is sometimes ultra helpful and also sometimes not helpful. And something that I talk to my students a lot about, especially in my diagnostics class, um, you know, which is a really important course that students take if they want to be therapists around how do I learn how to know what's happening for someone. Um, and like, what are the signs and symptoms and all those other things. Um, and we talk a lot about social media and and the ways in which language about mental health permeates general culture. And sometimes it's great. It is really wonderful to go on social media, follow somebody, and then hear language that feels really true to your lived experience and then feel like, oh my gosh, I'm not alone. Thank goodness. Like that can be such a powerful experience. It can also be equally unhelpful because, um, it's so nuanced and complicated yeah. it's really hard to condense all of the <laughs> it's really hard to condense all of the possible things that could be happening for a person right into one into like 140 characters or into you know 10 instagram i don't know what they're called slides Oh, yeah, slides, (laughs) or, like, (laughs) a
0: 15-second story, or, like, a minute and a half reel. Like like. a
1: TikTok. Like, it's just, it can be really hard. And so trauma is a word that's getting thrown out more and more casually. And I want to help folks understand, clinically, when we're talking about trauma, trauma is the, like, an experience that a person has, plus their nervous system response to it. So it's like an event plus your nervous system equals trauma. I like to talk about trauma as being some experience you have that for whatever reason for your nervous system is too much, too soon, too fast.
0: Interesting, okay.
1: And it's really hard to say, and we used to do this in the field of mental health, to say this kind of event is trauma, this kind of event is not trauma. That's not really a thing that we can do Yeah. because if you imagine, for example, content warning, conversation about trauma. Um, if you imagine like two people are in the exact same car accident in the same car, right? One person might walk away from that accident, being like, "Okay, that wasn't my favorite event. I'm glad that I'm okay, but not having lasting, lingering impacts from it." Yeah. The the person on the other in the other seat, right, somewhere else in the car, could come away feeling. So like experiencing a lot of long lasting symptomology, you know, struggle to get in cars again, right? Feel high level anxiety, like whatever, whatever's happening for them. Yeah. And it was the same accident in the same vehicle. Right. And so we don't really get to tell someone this is trauma or this is not trauma, that it's your nervous system experience plus an event. So a thing happened, who knows? Divorce is a similar one. Some folks are like, oh my gosh, thank goodness my parents got divorced because that was a rough time. Other people are completely devastated. Yeah. So, that I feel like is the first thing.
0: Trauma is not one size fits all. Not at all. Okay. Not even close.
1: Um, but other things we know is that trauma completely alters brain function. So, when I teach about trauma, trauma is neurodivergence, especially early childhood trauma. Because if you're taking in trauma while your brain is literally growing, what we know is that neurons that fire together wire together. And so you will build neural pathways in order to manage the experiences that are happening to you. And we have images of brains, right, where you look at a three-year-old who's experienced extreme neglect versus a quote-unquote typically developing three-year-old. And the size of the brain is completely different, right? there is a thinner corpus callosum which is like the um it's basically tissue that attaches both sides of the brain yeah um you'll get like altered size in ventricles there's less white matter like it quite literally the brain it doesn't grow the same way as it would if a person just like had you know the kind of sort of like childhood that we would dream that every child would have Right where all their needs were met in the exact way that they needed.
0: That's fucking fascinating. Yeah. Wow. Sorry.
1: And, no, it's all good. Like trauma is neurodivergence, and the earlier the trauma starts, the more you're gonna see symptomology that appears, uh, or that presents as neurodivergence. And we were talking about yesterday. One of the reasons why trauma is often misdiagnosed, or there's like confusion. With some individuals around, is this trauma? Is this ADHD? Is this ASD, which is autism spectrum disorder? I just always say ASD, but for people listening, um, right? Is it, you can have young people who present with like a global developmental delay, right? Or learning disability or disorder. Yeah. And it's trauma. It's because bad things happened to them when they were small. Wow. Yeah. And so I feel like that's the, the most like that's some important information to know, is that quite literally you function differently. It's not as impactful on brain development when you're an adult, right? Because your brain is more developed than it was as a child, yeah. and that doesn't mean that tra- Like I want to be clear, I'm not saying like adult trauma is fine. Like that's not what I'm saying right. at all. But it's it has a different impact on yeah. the growth of the brain if the brain is not growing as much or not growing in the same way. Um, but yeah, there are like all sorts of behavior patterns that get altered, a lot of sensory things, um, that start showing up with early childhood trauma. Um, we also, there's a high correlation with, um, uh, like, well, there's also often a high correlation with other quote unquote disordered behaviors that we would see in diagnosing. So correlation with trichotillomania, which is hair hair pulling, like pulling your hair out. Yeah. There's high correlation with um, uh, like hoarding disorders, eating and feeding disorders, um, elimination disorders, right? So bedwetting, um, things like that at a young age. Um, There's so many things, right? You'll see symptoms of anxiety. You'll see symptoms of depression for sure um some of the conduct disorders right so there are there is a whole section of the dsm that i despise and attempt to diagnose as little as possible if ever um that basically describes behaviors that people want to stop (laughs) essentially and so some of the conduct disorders like um Now I'm going to like pull out. I have a DSM app on my phone because this is my life. (laughs) So I just have the... Oh, for
0: folks that don't know, what is the DSM?
1: Oh, great question. The Diagnostic and Statistical Manual. I have version 5 on my phone. They just came out with the new version, um, which is the DSM 5 TR. They basically add TRs to the DSM when they've made some changes, but not enough to make a whole new one. Yeah. So now we're on the DSM TR. Um, But yeah, essentially the DSM is the giant book that clinicians use. I would hope your clinician has a DSM in their office if they're diagnosing you. That would be my hope for that person. Yeah. I don't know. But, you know, it's not for me to say what therapists should be doing. But I would hope that a therapist has a DSM in their office if they do diagnosing. And we don't ever memorize the whole thing.
0: Right, because that's pretty be impossible. hard.
1: There's so many pages; it would be really hard to memorize. But you get to know it better and better the more you work with it. Um, and so I'll show you. It just has like these are all the categories of challenges that people could be managing. Okay. And then, like here's. Let me go to the conduct, disruptive, impulse control, and conduct disorders. And then there's a list of all of the. Options. Okay. So there's like oppositional defiance, there's conduct disorder, uh, pyromania, kleptomania, right, those kinds of things. Oh, of like behaviors that kind of, we of shit's don't... in the
0: DSM? Mm-hmm. Whoa.
1: Yeah. There's also messed up things in the DSM that are a product of systems and oppression. Social worker. Yeah. <laughs> Can't help it. Um, so yeah, there are so many disorders. Substance use is highly correlated with you know, a high trauma background. There's just so many things that trauma impacts and changes other behaviors. And so it's definitely not a one size fits all because every person could have a totally different presentation right. depending on when did the trauma start? How many traumas were there? Cause there's going to be a huge difference between a single acute trauma, like a car accident. Like if you've been in one car accident your whole life and the rest of your life has sort of been, uh, successful. You felt safe, loved, cared for. Your needs were met when you, you know, when they needed to be in an appropriate way. This, that, and the third thing. Your the impact for you is going to be way different than someone that had a multitude of traumas over and over and over and over and over. Yeah. That's usually referred to as CPTSD. I don't love CPTSD. I usually use developmental trauma to describe it. Um, but CPTSD it stands for complex PTSD Okay. and it's when people over a lifespan have had negative events over 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 and, over and over and over and over again so it could be like one thing happened when I was three then one thing happened when I was five then six then seven it could be everyday little mini oh, traumas yeah. okay. right like listening to my parents argue or like things like that um, it could be community violence right um, being having the experience living in like a war zone being a refugee there are so many versions and they all kind of have their own like flavor yeah to how they present for people and then the, you'll get different clusters or groupings of symptoms hmm. so i'm like if that's the that's the like umbrella I'm trying to think if there's anything else that needs to be said around like what is the thing that we're talking about yeah um And a thing that I will say, um, is that everything is not trauma, which is a really complicated thing to say because I just said, we don't get to tell people what is and what is not trauma. Yeah. And also everything is not trauma. Um, and a thing that's really important for anyone who's experienced trauma, um, is essentially, well, all trauma treatment is some version of exposure therapy. Excellent. And the reason that's the case is because avoidance is a key, like a key symptom of trauma. Yeah. So if avoiding, do you know what I mean? Like avoiding can't be the solution to the trauma and a symptom of trauma, right. like you can't be the poison and the antidote at the same time. Yeah. And so people start engaging in unsafe or unhelpful behaviors when they start crafting their whole life around avoiding something that's similar to the bad thing that happened. Yeah. So if we use the if we use the car accident example, right, if you are then fearful of every single red car that you ever see, you start engaging in defensive driving maneuvers, right? You start like let's say you slam on your brakes, you're swerving, you're trying to get away, right? Like you're eventually people start engaging in behaviors that are not safe because they're so fearful, right? Because they're so heavily avoiding the bad thing that happened. Right. And so everything is about like window of tolerance and figuring out how can I manage being in the presence of something that reminds me of the bad thing that happened. And that differentiation process of being able to identify that red car isn't the red car that hit my car. They're not all the same red car. Every red car is not harmful, right? Every driver of a red car isn't gonna kill me, right? It's just, it was that particular red car and that particular driver. It's not everyone, it's not global. Yeah, because human brains do that. We create patterns because it's how people stay alive.
0: Right. Yeah, it's a, it's a helpful thing. Totally. Until it's not. Exactly. Yeah.
1: Which is one of my favorite things to talk about when we when I'm talking about diagnosing. Is that it's not a problem unless it's a problem. Yeah. So behaviors, experiences, someone's relationships, family, whatever, it's not a problem unless it's a problem
0: that makes sense Um, so I guess really quick before we move on to like how can athletes who are experiencing or have experienced trauma in their past um, sort of cope with that in a like sports setting Mm -hmm. Um, and specifically weightlifting because we're weightlifters here Um, yeah what are what are some ways that they can find a therapist or a what the hell is going on
1: there was good just lift. A, yeah. There Yay. was a big lift that just happened, and there was a lot. I'm like, I for our who was JC? I don't know, but there was a lot of yelling. That's a incredible. really good lift just happened. Good
0: job, go team.
1: Way to go! I don't know who it was, but you nailed it.
0: You did great. Uh, <laughs> what are some good um, like resources or ways for people to find help with coping with trauma? Because we talked about how psychology today maybe. Isn't excellent it could be a good starting point but maybe not the best way to find someone who can help you with your specific um, experiences
1: yeah and I don't want to knock psychology today
0: no it's helpful you know
1: it's really helpful um, I would say just in general trauma is very isolating it's very common for people who have experienced trauma to in some way isolate even if the isolation is inside your own body of like, I've had this experience, but I never tell anyone. So like, right. Like a self isolation. It could be that. Yep. Um, and I just
0: shook my own hand. Cause yeah. I yeah, feel that.
1: Right. I'm like self high five right here. Yep. <laughs> um, yeah. That like trauma as an experience often convinces us that we are alone or that we're the only one who understands what it feels like. And so, I would say the number one healing factor, here's another tip for everyone in trauma work and trauma healing is attachment and relationship. That attachment is the antidote to trauma. Mm. That having uh, people in your life, having a support system, having other humans you can talk to knowing there are people that care about you and love you in the world like that's the thing that heals trauma and it's also the thing that kind of heals everyone we have a lot of research that the main indicators of therapeutic success between a therapist and a client are the therapeutic relationship
0: no shit and whether
1: or not the therapist believes in what they're doing wow that is the biggest indicator of a client coming away from therapy being like, yeah, that was helpful. I feel better. It doesn't matter. Like the modality, not important, right? I could do underwater basket weaving with my clients. We can do handstands on horseback. We could, it doesn't, it doesn't matter.
0: Have you done a handstand
1: on horseback? Never. Okay. Never even one time.
0: Sorry. I just, it was a very specific (laughs) example. So I thought maybe that was an experience, but no. Okay.
1: No. I just like to, uh, create the most silly, examples that i can think of to make yeah. it clear how much it doesn't matter right. what you do with people. And it's so it's really nuanced, so also it does. But like the power of the relationship cannot be like you cannot we cannot like underestimate. Yeah. The power of the relationship. It's so important.
0: Yeah, that's fascinating.
1: And so that's a big thing like when you're searching for a therapist It's, like, you want to find someone that you vibe with. Doesn't matter what they say they do. You want to find someone you vibe with. But
0: if you're, like, yeah, this person's chill, I can, like, sip coffee with them and, like, talk about my shitty childhood. Totally. Huh. That's the single... I'm, I'm sorry. It's like the
1: highest indicator of therapeutic success. That's, it is not the modality. That's the most banana
0: shit I've heard. And I honestly can say that's probably the most helpful thing I've heard when it comes to like finding a therapist is find someone you can vibe with. Yep. Find the vibes. Wow. So you don't actually... So because... Man. All right. I'm going to say this quick and then we I probably should move on because um, our window of opportunity is slowly... Well, quickly dwindling. Okay. Um, but... Uh, Oh shit. What was I going to say? Oh, that I've always assumed that like this is your therapist and they're here to be like your doctor. And so like no matter how you feel about them, they're going to try their best to help you and if they can't help you it's your
1: Oh fault. my goodness, no. That is like the most mmm. Okay. I wish people could see my face cuz I'm like horrified right now. I'm yeah. like absolutely not. Yeah. Um no. Okay. That The therapeutic relationship is just can't it's so major
0: the single most important thing Mm, yeah okay
1: it's like the therapeutic relationship plus whether or not the therapist believes what they're doing will work
0: interesting okay
1: there's a word there's a name for this that i can't remember the term i'm like tempted to text my best friend who's also a clinician and be like remind me what's the name for that common factors maybe i don't remember the point is that this is there's lots of research on it that those are the things that really matter. is like, do you vibe with your therapist? Does it feel good to be in the room with them? And that's especially true for trauma healing. And when I teach clinicians, everyone wants the tool, the tips and the tricks and the techniques. And I want to, right, especially when they're young clinicians, right? They're like, and when I say young, I mean young in the field, like amount of time and experience, not young in chronological age. Um, Right? Everyone wants to, like, do something, like, at or with their client. And I'm like, no. My key, like I I work with folks who have some of the worst trauma on the planet and the thing that predictably heals is the relationship that I have with that person. Whether or not they feel that I love and care for them, whether or not they feel that they can reach out to me when they're having a hard time and that I'm going to predictably show up for them. One of the most trauma-informed behaviors is consistency of just like, you just keep showing up for someone. You just keep showing them, hey, I care about you, and I'm here. I'm here, every time, all the time. Because so much trauma comes from disrupted relationship in some way.
0: Yeah.
1: Almost, I would would go so far as to say almost all trauma. There's some version of a relational factor, even when it's like a natural disaster, right? But there's some level of like, if you think about like Hurricane Katrina, right? It's some level of like, people didn't come for us. Right yeah. or like I was left alone or whatever. Right? Yes, it's highly traumatizing to be in a tornado or something. I don't recommend it. Like, don't. <laughs>
0: it's not a fun time.
1: It's not fun. Don't do that.
0: I've experienced it, but I can tell you, it's not right. fun.
1: I've never been in a tornado myself, but I do not recommend. Um, one out of ten. But like, there's often so much of a relational element. Yeah. To even traumas of things that are out of someone's control. There's still some version of like human relationship that was broken. We are hurt in relationship and therefore we heal in relationship. So I'm like, that's the biggest thing is don't be alone in your trauma healing experience. Find the people that you can trust. Find the people that you know show up for you and do your best to gain some communication skills to be able to let people know hey, I need someone to show up for me right now. Because also something that happens like trauma, bell hooks talks about how like shame is trauma and trauma is paralyzing. And so you want to, like it's so easy, like shame and blame is a key piece of any treatment, treatment plan that I create with a client is like, we need to work on shame and blame because in some way people always feel like it's their fault, I'm responsible Right, even if it's not cog- a conscious feeling, it's very, very common. And it's like, it's not your fault. You did not do the, But you are not the bad thing that happened. You are not responsible for the harm. Especially early childhood trauma, especially childhood trauma in general. Like, I don't know how on earth, like you're a child, you're a literal child. Like, what do you know? And, but people internalize that. And so it's like, don't be alone learn you want to focus on learning how can I tell someone hey I need help right now and it's so it's often so hard to trust that anyone's gonna show up for you it's yeah. so hard to trust that anyone cares but it's like if you find that support system like people are gonna show up for you you don't have to be alone and find the therapist that you vibe with
0: yeah find, find vibes find the vibes right look for vibes find vibes
1: absolutely right it just needs to be good vibes all day that's amazing
0: Um so, in, when we're looking at weightlifting, um, and we're looking at training and competition. Mm-hmm.
1: Um, so like speaking of which, I'm doing that in a couple hours. In a couple e! hours, literally.
0: <laughs> what time is it right now? It's like 11 something. 11, so you've got. I've got weigh-in in, so in got
1: less than an hour, and then.
0: Oh, you can pee at two?
1: I think so. I thought it was four.
0: Oh. Oh, shit. We'll figure that out in a couple minutes. We'll find out. <laughs> well, I don't know. Um, but speaking of which, uh, um, so how, what are some, and I, this is obviously not going to be global. This is not universal. Like nope. this will help you 100% of the time. Nope. But what are some ways, um, that people have experienced trauma, um, or have, um, or just experiencing high levels of stress, mm-hmm. um, how, how to best, how to best continue living life and trying to do this thing that we're supposed to bring us joy. But like we talked about before, <laughs> a lot of times with weightlifting, yeah. um, it's really easy to dig yourself into a hole very yes. quickly. Um, because it's a very fast movement. It's something that can be done in a matter of a couple seconds. So why can't I just try again? And, yeah. um, and if a lot of times you're brain and body aren't communicating very well and it's just a shit show. Yeah. So, um what are some ways that folks can kind of still do the thing that brings them joy but have it bring them joy when they're experiencing shit?
1: Totally. Well, I think you offered like from Greg a really great suggestion, which is like be mindful of when therapy is happening, be mindful of when you're doing other things um be checking in with your calendar with your schedule be really honest with yourself about is blank blank thing that i'm doing later a high stress stress situation because stress is very additive and compounding to the nervous system and oftentimes folks who've experienced trauma um, their nervous system is constantly in like a high state of alert and when you then add something like weightlifting that creates, that is so, requires so much laser focus and so much intensity, um, it can sometimes be really hard. And especially if you're very actively experiencing trauma symptoms in that moment, right? If it's like flashbacks or, um, you know, intrusive memories or what, whatever's happening for you, um, that's gonna take away from your laser focus. So I think in some ways, just Getting a little bit of skill at planning ahead when you can and checking in with yourself around is now, like a, is now the right time for me to show up for myself? And if it's not, figure out what are my resources. So in general, when I'm working with someone who's navigating past trauma or some negative event that they've experienced, step one is always stabilization as in build some resources if you don't have any coping skill <clears throat> like literally not one and if you don't have any people in your social supports then i'm like well we're not going to treat your trauma right now because it always gets worse before it gets better in terms of how you feel yeah. because we're going to open up like pandora's box of garbage <laughs> like, if you've
0: never experienced that before it fucking sucks no
1: it's trash it's absolute it's garbage it's not
0: fun no it's not a great time it's not It's not good, sorry. I
1: deeply encourage my clients to be upset with me. Like, I'm like, yes, this is trash right now. Uh-huh, you're right. Like, this is, a, what a dumb idea. Like, why did we agree to come here? Like, yeah. what, and now I'm asking you these questions? This is nonsense. Absolutely, it's fucking garbage. Yeah. So, like, you don't, if you don't have resources, we're not gonna treat the trauma yet, we have to build the resources. Cause I'm not gonna like, open you up in therapy and then suddenly you're like houseless, you know what I mean, like that's not useful. Right. Why would we do that? And I feel like in the same way with weightlifting, mm-hmm. if you're like, boy, I'm having a hard time showing up for myself, check in with what are your external resources and your internal resources. So external is like stuff in your environment. It could be as simple as like drink water. I This is my, I am so chronically dehydrated, there aren't even words for my continuous level of dehydration. <laughs> i made Will laugh. Son am I of a calling bitch. you? Am I calling you out aggressively yes, right now? Yes, so That's right. Hard. I'm also calling myself out. Uh, I am so... And I get, like... I don't get hangry. I get, like, thirst gritty. Okay, like, so I get so irritable.
0: Here's the thing. So, like, um, with... like, um, um, I'm sorry. I might say something wrong here. And if I do, correct me. You're fine. Um, with autism, um, I find it really hard to drink straight water... Because uh-huh. it always tastes different. Hmm. And it's not like a... So, like, from I, I, from what I understand, they're, like, safe things that I, like, can always rely on. They're always going to taste the same. They're always going to feel the same. Yeah. Water's not one of them. Okay. and it, So, like, for me, it's like, oh, man, that requires, like, putting, like, a Mio or something in my water because it's the only way I can, like... 'Cause that like that flavor is like the same every time, all the time, and I can like rely on it. Yeah. Um, so that's why I was laughing. It's like, I fucking know, but like there's I have to do the and it's just anyway. So yeah. yes, chronically dehydrate. Okay, so mm-hmm. drink water, cool. Sorry. That was it's tangent. all good.
1: <clears throat> no, that's really helpful. And like also what I'm hearing you say though, is a huge strength that you have found the thing that you need in order to bring water to a stable, like it tastes the same every time. Yeah. And it's like, that's a version of an external coping skill of like, okay, this water doesn't taste the way that it does at home, or like did it taste more chemically this time or whatever XYZ bling thing. Now I know what I need to do. And I have this thing, right? That's huge. And so now I'm hearing you say like, I have a hard time consistently doing that. Totally fine. But that's like a skill you can build, right? It's not a problem. But you have that coping skill, and that's amazing. External resources could be like really warm, fuzzy blankets, right? Or a weighted blanket. Let me tell you, a warm blanket. There's nothing like it.
0: No, there's. It does a lot for the body. Genuinely.
1: Yeah. Eating food crazy and it's so common especially for folks the younger the trauma started to not be able to listen and hear your body like to not be able to listen to and hear what your body is telling you and as weightlifters your body's your instrument
0: yeah and
1: so that's a big thing is like go to the body and be like hey body self like what is it that i need right now i often refer to my body as body self (laughs) hey body self i mean what's up listen (laughs) i'm like this is how it works for me i'm like body self what's happening right now like what do you need it's so easy like you'll get people who you know they eat one meal a day and don't notice when i say people i mean that used to be me yeah (laughs) i'm like i'm calling myself out you're
0: calling me self you're calling me self you're calling me self out again right oh
1: yeah (laughs) i got you self (laughs) yeah um yeah i mean forgetting to eat not necessarily knowing when you need to go to the bathroom or like having it not be clear. I very recently discovered about myself that I have a hard time telling the difference between being hungry and being full because they both feel like nausea.
0: Yeah. Yep. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I've, I'm I'm saying like that because yeah, yep. I agree. Yeah. So
1: I have to like, just be really mindful about checking in and I, it just takes practice. And so I feel like that's a big thing for lifters is like ask your body what's going on right now and if you're in a rough place be like okay what do i need to support myself internal resources might be relying on like motivation or discipline right or remembering um a time that weightlifting was really successful watching some of your old videos like past lifts that went really well um internal resources could be I would say an external resource is like reaching out to a friend an internal resource might be like journaling right yeah. or like saying really kind things to yourself self generosity is enormous in trauma it's also really hard and i hate often i well, frankly i hate most of what i'm saying because you know, it's like <laughs> it's just like so stupid <laughs> and like simple do you know and it yeah. annoys me like i feel that way about journaling i'm really mad about journaling to be perfectly honest because it's so freaking effective And it's so simple, and that's annoying to me. Like, I'm like, really? Do you know, like, I love all those memes where it's like, I'm going to take myself on my stupid little mental health walk. Like, I'm a stupid. Yeah, it's, like, dumb.
0: Yeah.
1: But, like, sitting in the sunshine, and then you're like, why do I feel so much better? This is absurd. Yeah. Those kinds of things go a long way towards getting yourself to a place where you can get to the gym and get after it.
0: Yeah, and one thing I want to ask really quick is so I know for, and I'm again speaking on my own biases and things like that, but um, when it comes to like doing those really stupid easy things to do, like journaling or anything like that, so
1: bad at journaling. Um, I
0: often run into um, just like stopping before I start. Mm-hmm. So, like, and I'm, I'm asking this because it's like, how do you listen to like the right thing instead of like what your body and your mind is telling you like oh you don't want to do this correct me you don't want to do this absolutely okay so does that make sense and Mm -hmm. i don't know if i asked a question there but did you get my question i know exactly what's happening
1: yeah this is very common especially because trauma will often manifest in the body um you know ibs crohn's disease fibromyalgia are all highly correlated with um, early childhood trauma, somatic body experiences, where you're like, I feel awful inside, and I don't know why. Um, things like suicidal ideations, right? Like all that kind of stuff. When I say ideations, I mean the desire to suicide. Sorry. Um, I'm like, definitely we need to put a content warning on the front of this, yeah. So I'll, we I'm don't like do it in the intro. <laughs> okay, great. Yeah. I'm like, I don't want to trigger everyone. Um, but all of that kind of stuff really comes from like the embodied experience of trauma because your brain is in your body it's very silly in mental health we act like your brain and your body aren't the same thing and I'm like y'all it's connected it's like through your neck like it's like they are the same they're the same thing same same central nervous system all the way down and so absolutely it makes perfect sense that if a bad thing happened it happened to your body it didn't just like we don't like take our heads off and like sit them someplace and then reattach them it happened to all of you and so you will get experiences where your body's like that's a bad idea and it's really hard to overcome sometimes so the thing i would say is very small actions are wins i love thinking about like tiny prs and tiny wins because when you start they're very additive over time and so and especially when i'm working with high trauma clients like successes are often very small because we work together over a long period of time. That's just the nature. Like, you know, if the bad things started happening when you were two, we've a lot of material to cover, Yeah. you know? And so we're going to be at this for a while and it can be really discouraging thinking about like, everything is exactly the same as it was six months ago. And I'm like, no, 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 no. And so I am very practiced at looking for the tiny wins. And so you want to see what are the tiny steps I can take to, um, getting a small amount of movement or a small amount of change so when your brain or your body is telling you this is a terrible idea you do not want to do that maybe a tiny win is like okay I'm going to try to get up in five minutes and just like set your watch and be like and then when five minutes happens can I do it now right or texting someone and being like you know can you help me by reminding me like one reason I like weightlifting or one reason why journaling is helpful, right? It could be um, making a commitment to another human being that they're going to support you, yeah. right? Just these like tiny, tiny little things. It could be as very small as I'm laying on the couch. I'm thinking to myself, um, I know that I need to journal. I know that journaling is going to make me feel feel good later, but I'm absolutely convinced right now that journaling is not how I want to go. Yeah. Maybe. It will literally kill me. Yes, I feel like I may die. And that is a very common and reasonable experience when you're a person who has trauma. Like, I just want to normalize the shit out of that. Real common and appropriate. Um, That you might be like, okay, I'm going to start by just noticing that I have toes. Like, is there a place in my body that does not feel the same as that feeling of I'm going to die? Doesn't have to feel better, just feels different. Interesting. And then can I just, like, notice, like, okay, my toes do not feel like I'm going to die. My toes feel like nothing. I don't feel anything in my toes. Great. And be like, all right, I'm going to, like, move my toes. And then maybe you say out loud, you don't even start writing, you just say out loud, like, journal about your toes. Journal about, like, my toes do not currently feel like they're going to die right now. You might speak your journal out loud. You might make a voice note. That be like, dear self, like, today feels like garbage however my toes do not feel like they're dying and I'm really glad about that because every other part of me do, right and like yeah. just these like itty bitty tiny wins that over time you will like you will be able to look back and remember oh I even though it feels horrible right now I know that when I do this thing I feel better yeah yeah and it will get like easier and easier to go to doing the, you know, the little things, you know, little by little becomes a lot.
0: Yeah, and actually one thing I, I wanted to touch on was because Amy, um, yeah. she talks a lot about um, bull camps and stuff when, um, she uses manning as an example or herself as an example of like um, specifically going into training when you are experiencing some shit. Mm-hmm. Um, and you still want to train because you know it's good for you, yep. um, and you know that it's going to get you closer to your goals and all that good fun shit. But it, literally, if you feel if you feel like you might die if you touch the bar,
1: mm-hmm.
0: just like okay, just literally pick it up.
1: I was just going to say yeah. touch it.
0: Yeah, touch the bar. The, did you die? Cool. Do you feel okay to try maybe doing a muscle snatch? Cool. Give it a shot. Does that feel good? Awesome. All yeah. right, let's try power snatch now. Absolutely. And just like keep going and then if you get to a point where it's like I don't feel good anymore stop then you're done yeah and like that's where you end it and you have done what you needed to do for that day
1: yes exactly you did a thing shout out Amy and Greg Um, those are those are friends who know a lot about mental wins I could not recommend more highly Greg's book tough Yeah. Um, it is a mental health book it is not a weightlifting book I, I messaged Greg after I read the book and was like Greg You wrote a mental health book. Like, why are we pretending that it's a weightlifting book? This is a mental health book. Yeah. And he was like, well, you know, essentially I'm a weightlifting coach. And so people think that I only know things about weightlifting. Right. And I was, and I paraphrased that conversation.
0: Well, and it's really interesting because a lot of the people that read tough, um, and this, this is something that Greg has said too, it's just like, um, it's like macho, like super masculine men. Right, and they're like super huge fans of it, and they're. the reason I categorize that is because typically those people are like the most against like getting help for mental health
1: and stuff like Systems.
0: that. Systems. Um, yeah, exactly. I'm like
1: my social work life. Right. Shows up in full force, right? Like we teach, we teach people that like only some people get to feel okay. Like what? That yeah. doesn't make any sense. Like
0: oh, if you don't feel good, just buckle up. It's fine. Right. You'll but, just
1: eventually feel better. Like that's actually not how healing works. Right. Like, that but, doesn't make sense in any way.
0: Yeah, but Tuft does a really good job of, like, f- helping people that might otherwise not feel like they can or should go to therapy. It's not a replacement by any means, but it's a good start for people to at least start thinking about their mental health. Yeah, um, and if
1: you're a person who, like, your insurance is not covered or you don't have access to therapy or whatever, like, you don't... There are things you can do, Yeah, just you, yep. you know, that you... I don't want to create a narrative that if you for whatever reason are not able to access therapy right now or maybe ever, that like, well, I guess you just have to be like super unhappy and miserable for the rest of your life. Looks no. like
0: you're just gonna be depressed. Right? Forever. Looks like sucks Half to fun, be you.
1: <laughs> like Smack no. on the ass and have a good day. <laughs> like, no, not at all. There are totally things that you can do to care for yourself. But I think um the caring for yourself part is really important. Like you have to convince yourself that you are worth caring for even slightly
0: I'm making a face right you know, now No, I see that lip curl um, it's hard it's hard but Especially like that's the first
1: step is being like you know what it's probably a good idea for me to do something that positively impacts me yeah. cool like step one it probably would help yeah because the thing is Like, if you've tried doing things exactly the same and you're not feeling any better, right? Like, the definition of insanity insanity is doing the same thing over and over, expecting different results. That you just have to be like, all right, self. And there's so much around being gentle and generous with yourself. It sounds gross. I sound like a really ridiculous, like, inspirational speaker. I hate it. No, it's it's true. It's so...
0: The the reason I'm like, science, fucking, I know. Because it's like shit that I, like personally, again, say, but like, it's it's so hard to do that. It's so hard. And it's things that I'm currently working on. So when you're saying it, just like, bringing up all those like, things that we were talking about before, like, oh, I feel like if I start liking myself, I'm gonna like, die. Like, think bad things will happen to me. Great,
1: so in this exact moment, is there any body part at all that feels differently? then I'm gonna die if I start liking myself even a little bit. Not better, just different. Right. Even one body part. That's fair. Yeah. And you might feel like my earlobes do not feel as though I would die. Cool. Like, you're nailing it, that's it. <laughs> you're winning. Like, that's what I'm saying. That yeah. there's at least one part of you that maybe doesn't fully agree with that sentence. Yeah. Like, is there any part of yourself that's like, well, I don't know if I might die, right? Or like, what? Is it some other thing? Like, what else could it be? Yeah. And I also would say to that statement, okay, you don't have to like yourself. What if you start with like, be okay with my existence or like, be allowed to live, have permission to carry on in some way? do I get to exist for another 25 minutes, right? Like, ju- like so small, just very tiny, like, you know, I'm just, like, allowed to be here. We can, like yourself, we'll get, we, this, we can get there at another time. What if you just give yourself permission to be? And then I would invite, you're doing great, <laughs> and then I would invite, all of the people listening like if that's what's happening for you like what if you give yourself permission to be in your gym i can't tell you how many training sessions i have had where i just like went to the gym and hit one lift and then left all the time I'm like, it's your podcast, so I don't know whether or not to name name that you're having feelings uh right? I'm sorry.
0: No, you can't. It's
1: fine. Okay. I was like, I'm just going to keep talking. (gasps) You don't have to apologize. Feelings are like a really reasonable thing to have. (laughs) Like overwhelmingly reasonable, in fact.
0: Gosh.
1: Super appropriate. Darn. Yeah. I'm the worst. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> welcome welcome to Trauma Talk with Rebecca. It's
0: fine, everything is Fine
1: Absolutely, Ugh. everything is fine It's also equally not fine And like, totally cool Yeah, It's no problem
0: um, I think that's a good place to wrap Because I think we need to talk <laughs> uh, Again about stuff like this On another podcast But I feel like totally. if we keep going I will you it your window of tolerance, that's fine Yeah um Jesus Christ. Oh, where can people find
1: you Bex oh, damn it. <laughs> Where can people find me? Um Well, you can find my therapy practice um ww.therapyaltered.com. Altered A-L T E like, is that how a person spells? Altered? A-L-T-E-R-E-D. Yeah. I'm like
0: T T E R E D. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Nailed it. Um, and that's the name of my practice is Therapy Altered. Um, and I'm like, I am findable. You can search for Therapy Altered on Instagram. There is no Twitter and there is no TikTok because I just can't bring myself to <laughs> do that.
0: I simply cannot.
1: Uh, it's impossible. If you are more interested in hearing about some of the system things that I'm talking about, and the ways in which, like, society is not all that helpful. Um,
0: Which is fascinating, by the way. We didn't get a chance to talk about it a lot.
1: We didn't talk about systems, but, but like, really so important, Um, and I could go on uh, all-in-all for a long time just about the ways in which we're told that this is how you have to be in the world. That's, like, not helpful to people, and people don't feel good when they're doing it that way. you can check out Arctic, A R T I C, Arctic um, LLC, and Arctic stands for Anti Racist Trauma Informed Care. Oh, nice. Yeah. And we're also on Instagram. Yeah, again, that's it. There's no, well, no, we might have a Facebook. I think Facebook, Facebook
0: exists. Is so we, I forget Facebook exists. If I I'm mean,
1: honest. yeah, I haven't logged on to Facebook in like at least five years. Yeah. Maybe longer.
0: Every time I go on there, it's a dumpster fire, so I just,
1: yeah. you know. It's a terrible place.
0: Although, if you are on Twitter and you can bring yourself to be on Twitter, um, Greg Everett's Twitter
1: is popping.
0: Okay. It's so good. Um, I just feel like
1: I don't have anything useful to say in 140 characters or less.
0: Oh, yeah. I simply go there to see Greg's tweets. Oh, great. I follow a couple of photographers. Okay. Because I'm
1: like, what am I... I I I can't be short-winded. It's impossible no I talk too much Are you
0: kidding me <laughs> also over explaining autist right here so that's not going to happen for me yeah have you seen my Instagram yet. captions
1: they're so <laughs> good I love
0: them oh gosh okay. I love your
1: Instagram presence so yeah that's where people can find me and um, yeah I'm available for like chatting about this kind of stuff and
0: And she's apparently you know. really fucking good at it which is why I wanted to have you on but <laughs> I, I've never experienced <laughs> Um, sort Max. of your, cause I've always just kind of like hung out with you at competitions and at Greg and Amy's place. And so yeah. like never really experienced you doing your thing. Uh-huh. Um, and I felt like towards the end there, that's what that was. And yeah, she's good. She's real good. So check her out. <laughs> if you're, okay. So I know that you're, um, licensed in Oregon, you're working on getting licensed in Washington. Uh-huh. Does that mean, do you do virtual care for people? Absolutely. No? Okay. Um, And do they have to be in Oregon or Washington?
1: Um, It depends on the state. Okay. Um, Yeah. So I would say if people are not in Oregon or Washington and you're like, oh, wow, I want to talk to you. um, I also a big part of my life right now is training other people to essentially be like me as a therapist. Yeah. um, Because I'm like, I can't, you know, I can't help everyone. Right. Um, And I have a very... It's a very like niche population, so I oftentimes get people who are like, "Wow, you're the only person I have heard of," or like, "You're the only person in the state who does this kind of work." Yeah, that happens a lot, and I'm like, "Yeah, I mean, there aren't there aren't that many people who are really working with high trauma, um, at least not overwhelmingly like successfully or like in a gimmicky way. There's a lot yeah. of gimmicks around like do this magical, and I'm like, no, it's not magical."
0: Oh, no, it sucks a little bit, but it's It fine.
1: extra sucks. Um, oh, like, let's just name it and take ownership. It's trash. Trauma treatment is garbage. Yeah. Um, and yet, it's fun, right? I'm like, if you find the vibes, then you're like, well, it's not as bad as it could be. Right. Um, we have fun. My clients and I have fun. That's good. I really love and care for them. So um, if, people
0: have, if, if people want to, if they've yeah. heard this and they're like yeah I need to chat with you
1: yeah Okay. totally people can come and, come and chat with me and it's like even if I'm not available like I can you know hook you up with someone who like knows, knows some stuff and the only people I recommend are people that work really closely with me yeah. and so it's sort of like hearing all of the things that I would say plus their, their knowledge and experience yeah. which is extensive yeah. and so it's like a two for one deal oh yeah Oh, yeah that's we should definitely do this again there's a lot there's a lot to say
0: yep, yep. But i'm
1: like dear weightlifters just be generous with yourself even when it's hard it's really really hard i'm just gonna say as a person who's about to lift in a short period of time it's yeah. very hard you
0: figure out when the hell you need to weigh in
1: that's true i think i really think it's new but we'll learn we'll, we'll learn. learn together
0: Um, and you, if you're listening to this, I hope you know where to find me. If not, I'll tell you later. (laughs) Thanks, Bex. And, uh, we'll do this again.
1: We're going to do it again. Hopefully I
0: have my life a little bit better.
1: (laughs) Thanks, Will. Yeah.